this is episode 60 of the Open Paddock Rallycast. In this episode, we review the 2019 New England Forest Rally with special guests Cooper Auto Works' Calvin Cooper and Kelsey Stevens. They finished fourth in the National Open Two-Wheel Drive class in the sweltering heat of New England. This is Open Paddock, the Rallycast. said in our introduction we have special guests with us cooper autoworks's calvin cooper and kelsey stevens uh calvin and kelsey welcome to the open paddock rally cast hi thank you hi thanks for having us well this show is about the new england forest rally but before we do that we always get new guests we haven't had you on the show before we always like to get a little background on the drivers co-drivers that we have on the show so uh, for both of you, how did you guys get started in rallying? How did you get bit by the rally bug? Uh, for me, it kind of started back uh, years ago with Gran Turismo 3. You know, I played the hell out of that game and uh, really liked doing the license stuff and doing the rally stages. I think I spent more time doing rally in that game than I did the grip driving. Um, that was kind of like a quick introduction just to the driving style and you know how all that's supposed to work. But it wasn't really until I met Kelsey that um, – Figured out. Yeah, so um, we went on our first date on 723 in 2015. And um, on our first date, I, of course, knew he was a car guy. I knew he was into BMWs. I wouldn't stop talking about Rally on our first date. I was like, I drove crappy Dodge Neon, but I'm going to sell it. I'm going to get a Subaru. I'm going to do Rally one day. Um, and so I definitely talked up Rally. I went back in 2012 and checked out 100 Acre Wood. That's um, really near my hometown. And so back in 2012, I volunteered for tech and inspection. And then I kind of helped um, crew with a team. And that was the first time I saw women in race suits. And so I fell in love with the sport. Um, I held on to that passion. And then I met Calvin and I took him to our first rally in, um, let's see, 2016. And we saw an E30 there and fell in love. And um, it appealed to me because Rally, and it appealed to him because BMW. And so the next year, we volunteered ourselves to crew for that team. That was Jesse Yavali and Jengis Nomer um, out of Florida. And then the next year, we bought that car and started rallying it. Wow, that's awesome. You just jumped right in. So, uh, Calvin, have you always just been a BMW guy from the beginning? Uh, for a long while now, I have been. Uh, towards the beginning, I was more of a Mitsubishi guy, really. I had a 03 Mitsubishi Lancer ES. It was my first manual car, and I used to romp around on the backcountry roads with that thing. Uh, so lots of fun there, but uh, a couple of Mitsubishis later, and I went to tech school and learned a little more about BMWs there. worked at the BMW shop for a while and just kind of got into them and been stuck with them ever since. I read somewhere that uh, you started off doing uh, TSDs together. Yeah, we did. Um, we're both pretty heavily involved with SCCA, and we heard a hot tip. That's a great way to prepare mm -hmm. for stage rally and learn how to, like, you know, manage being a team in the car and reading all the notes and following directions. So um, we did do some touring rallies, and uh, I like to say accidentally came – um, we were, like, ranked fifth nationally as a team um, that year. We didn't even know there was, like, a national standings, and we got a thing in the mail. 
awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way the SCCA works sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. So we had a blast and um, it was cool because we were like the definitely the young crowd at those events. Yeah, because uh, the crowd at an SCCA road rally is generally a little bit older, isn't it? Yeah, they were they were thrilled to have us there, and we had a blast doing it, and yeah. we really learned a lot. Yeah, because my my wife my wife and I we started off doing uh, doing TSDs up here in Minnesota together, you know, and they are they're great fun. It's and we we always say that it's great for building a relationship because. Yeah, you have to communicate all the time, even when things are getting stressful in the car. You've got, if you you can cope with a stressful TS situation in a TSD, then you can cope. You can cope with a marriage or relationship. That's exactly how we feel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now from what from what did I do I get this right that you were were driving and Calvin was was navigating while you were doing TSDs? Correct. Yes. We did it that way for TSDs. I don't really know why. I think because I was just a little hesitated, uh, like a little more hesitant on mm. jumping in with a co-driver thing. So he did. A little more on the math heavy side too, trying to calculate those times. I don't think you really wanted to do it. <laughs> no, I don't like math. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, Me neither. It's like, I hate math. Yeah, you know, I was like, I can't understand sometimes why I'm actually in the co co driver's seat with my uh, with my lack of mathematical ability. Sometimes, I just bring a calculator. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it's got it's got to that stage for me. In fact, I've got an app for my for my iPhone that is an hours and minutes calculator. So it, it that's works. That's super they, handy. Yeah, and. I can tell you what it is if you like. We'll, 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 we'll give them a little plug. It's H&M Lite. Awesome. I'll, I'm writing that down. H&M Lite. Yeah, Rianne, Gelsomino, Rianne and Alex Gelsomino uh, put me onto that at uh, their, the training class that I did with them back in March. March, April time, was it? Yeah. Because yep. I told them that I, was str- I would struggle terribly carrying the minutes over into the next hour you know i was yeah. already i was okay adding say 15 16 minutes on to uh 30 minutes but if i was to add that 15 or 16 minutes on to like 48 minutes i was like totally screwed because it was taking me into the next hour and i was just it was like not carrying the one you know it was totally <laughs> totally weird but since i've got this this h&m light app it's easy i can i'll work it now without a problem that's fantastic. I'll definitely give that a shot. So you two did the TSDs for a bit, and you said you got your first rally car uh, that next year, the the one that you guys that you crewed for. What was your first stage rally together then that you competed? Hundred Acre Wood. Okay, so that was Hundred Acre Wood. Mm-hmm. And what was that experience like being your uh, being your first one? Uh, that was last year, so that would have been 2018. Uh, it was pretty intense, really. Uh, <laughs> We had done some rally cross beforehand, so I knew a little bit of low speed driving and loose surfaces, but we never really done anything at those kind of speeds in that big of an event. Uh, so it was a bit overwhelming, really. Uh, just trying to get the car ready. It was a new to me car. I, I got to run it in one rally cross before we did 100 Acre Wood. But yeah, just trying to keep everything coordinated and get crew out there and make sure we were showing up at the right time in the right place. We did make some mistakes here and there, had some penalties, but. Overall, it was a really, really fun event. When we got to the finish, 
Did you get any penalties on that one? Oh, yeah. We got penalties. Oh, okay. I don't remember. <laughs> at, at one point, I think we got 10 miles off, uh, oh, yeah. off track on a transit and quickly realized we needed to make up a little bit of time. So had to turn around and head back. We made it in time to not get uh, disqualified. So Yeah, we didn't exceed MPL, <laughs> but just barely. Um, but as a co-driver, I mean, that one penalty aside, I really surprised myself with reading the notes and being able to keep up with that. And honestly, all I really remember about the rally is us finishing and driving up to the stadium with the lights and just seeing all our friends there and just thinking about how I just finished my first rally and it was hundred acre wood. And that's all that mattered. Yeah. They do it. They do a good presentation there. I must say, I, I like how, uh, how where the cars finish there at the fairgrounds and whatnot. That, that's pretty well done. Yeah, the bonus of the night was we found out we didn't come in last, so that was that was thrilling. Going from doing SCCA Rallycross to flat out on Hundred Acre. Wow, that's that's a big step up. That's not like you're you know going to something maybe a little more twisty and you have to keep it backing off. You're going to stages that are just flat out. That's got to be a pretty big transition. Yeah, I can't say I ran those flat out. Uh, we definitely <laughs> kept the speeds a little bit lower than uh, we have this year, but uh, it was a learning experience, and I didn't want to push the car too hard, break the car, and overdrive the car. Uh, our goal was to finish, and we did that. Yeah, I mean, we were two novices in a rear-wheel drive car, so by everyone else's standards, we were just completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to refer to those as fun wheel drives. So, exactly, you, know, you definitely got, got the right car. So, how many rallies have you guys uh, done together since then? Uh, so, I think we're up to seven at this point. Uh, just finishing with NEFR, if I did the math right. Yeah, it should be seven rallies, and we have finished six. We only had one DNF, and that was at Hundred Acre Wood this year, due to a mechanical failure. Couple mechanical. Yeah, a couple mechanical failures. Yeah. You can't have just one. <laughs> right, it's got to it's got to mount on top of each other, of course. So let's talk about New England. Um, how many times have you done New England before? None. So this is your <laughs> first time going up to the to the forest of New England on, in the sweltering heat. We had the massive heat wave that came in. First, I guess your experience would be in would have been doing recce. Uh, what did you think of the roads when you went and uh, drove them on recce? Uh, so the roads were a bit rough. <laughs> You know, coming from 100-acre roads that are nice and smooth, going out there, there's a lot of rocks, and it's just bumpy. Uh, we did recce in our uh, support vehicle, loaded down with all of our gear and uh, stuff for service, and that didn't help. Uh, tools were banging around in the back, and I guess we missed the bulletin on the alternate transit uh, at one point and did a little bit of, looks like, off-roading with on a Jeep trail. So that was interesting. Mm. And then, of course, the painted rocks everywhere certainly woke me up a little bit and set the alarms off. The, the locals like to call those baby heads. Um, it's a very odd term, but uh, yes, they do look like uh, mounds growing out of the ground, which uh, <laughs> if you hit them wrong, ouch, uh, they could definitely hurt. Um, well, so we learned that the hard way. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we'll get into that. Um, so... You know, obviously, you're getting your notes all prepped and whatnot for this uh, ARA event, looking at all the different stages out there, some more rough, some more smooth. Concord Pond, though, that that's a smooth one, other than that really kind of rough, broken tarmac section stuck in the middle there for no apparent reason. 
I don't know why that's there. There's no houses next to it. <laughs> but the rest of it's like super smooth and quick. Uh, what was that stage like for you guys? That stage was fun. Fun's just the way to describe it. Uh, you know, driving 100 acre stages, nice and smooth. You know, it kind of felt a little bit like that, but maybe a little bit more technical. But the speeds were there. It was really fast if you stayed in it. I don't think we stayed in it as much as we should have, but... We, I think we hesitated a little bit on that stage. So before we had even gotten to NEFR, we did a really last minute engine swap. We found out Friday we needed an engine. We did the swap Saturday, Sunday, buttoned everything up Monday, left Tuesday, and never really got an opportunity to drive the car. Like he drove it down the road and back, put it on the trailer and said, let's go. We drove it, you know, of course at Shakedown, but that was only that like not even full mile. And we were kind of late to Shakedown coming off recce and only got like the one pass. So the first opportunity at Concord Pond was like, all right, let's make sure everything's, you know, still holding together um, kind of thing. So our first pass, yeah, I think we held back a little bit. And then second pass, we were like, all right, let's have fun. And we were considerably faster. Then after that was the uh, much more dramatic, uh, was it, you had South Arm followed by Icicle Brook. And one thing I kept hearing from a lot of teams was that Icicle Brook stage was faster than it's ever been um, since you guys haven't been there before. Um, it used to be basically, you know, a, a single lane road with grass growing up through the middle of the tire tracks, basically. I mean, it, it wasn't nothing. And you'd oh. have to take it pretty careful. Apparently, they graded it just two weeks before the rally, and it's it was like a highway for speed. Um, very different characteristic than what it was in years past. And then there's this little kick, I guess, that was in there. And maybe you guys can describe that, because I kept hearing from uh, different teams about this kick that was that, that if, if you weren't ready for it, could really knock your car out of shape. Yeah, so about that, uh, I actually was reviewing our in-car earlier today, because I very distinctly remember that. It was what I refer to as the jump that wasn't a jump, uh, because we definitely caught some air and landed pretty hard. It looks like... Somebody even went off ahead of us right at that same spot. I think there was a bumper left out there as well from somebody. Uh, but it was very sudden, and the speeds on that stage were very fast. There was downhill sections, as smooth as it was. We, I think, hit up about 90 or so, which is kind of what we will hit 100 acre on a long straight uh, with the gearing that we have. But yeah, it totally caught us off guard. Uh, we definitely landed hard, and I even think I called Kelsey out on it because I thought there was a jump that she missed, but that was not the case. Yeah, he yelled at me for being off on the uh, notes there for a second, but uh, he was like, that was a jump. That wasn't whatever you just said it was, uh, but I, I was on the notes, so. So was that using Jemba, or did you guys write your own notes? Jemba, yeah. Gotcha. But it wasn't marked as a, a jump, and several other teams commented that they got air there and it wasn't noted as a jump and it caught them all off guard too so yeah i wonder if some of those notes were prepared before it was graded or what because yeah that, that thing is just it was just very different from anything i'd uh been out there to see before so but but you guys uh made it to the end of that stage but you had a little bit of drama along the way yeah so um as we were coming up um over at crest there was a big big orange painted rock and some of those you know we were able to kind of center the car over them and fly right over no big deal but this particular orange painted rock uh we actually ramped it with our skid plate um i i thought maybe we had somehow jumped again 
<laughs> but oh. it was it was just riding the rock up um, with our skid plate. And so we were really, really close to the end of the stage. Like we both felt it um, as soon as we we hit it, that it was bad news. Um, but we were really close to the, end of the stage. So we went ahead and finished the stage. And as soon as we got to the end, of course, you know, finish control was like, uh, you've got some stuff pouring out of your car there. And so we pulled out of um, the finish control and um, of course it was facing downhill. And so oil was just kind of puking out of the car. Oof. You know, to see oil puking out of the car kind of gave me an upset tummy too. And I just look up and Margaret Sharon and Amy Dulks of Frog Racing were standing there. And Amy just was like, DNF, not on my watch. Where's your tow hook? Let's go. We're going to flat tow you. I could have kissed them both. They just slapped the tow hook off and away we went. And so that was awesome. We got video of them flat towing us back. They almost like 30 miles in their car that they had already like crashed and repaired earlier that day yeah they smacked uh they smacked a tree i think with the left hand corner i think uh, which is interesting because normally it's the co-driver side <laughs> and uh did a little bit of body damage but uh thankfully i think the rest of the car was okay but uh that's awesome though um you know teams helping teams it's one of the things that we love so much about this sport you know that camaraderie where it just instantly help somebody else and you weren't the only ones that were towed back uh we happened to catch Chris Duplessis came back. He was towing uh, Seamus Burke uh, and Martin Brady. They had an issue also where they smacked something with their skid plate and oil pan went as well. So at least you're not alone in those issues. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody from Seamus's Burke team actually came asking to see if we had a spare um, steering rack. So I guess he runs the same rack as we do or something. So that was kind of funny. That car's got a lot of custom stuff on it, parts from other cars that you would not believe. I mean, it, it's got a Mustang V6 in it <laughs> inside that thing and all kinds of customized things that the, that uh, GRD Rally Sports put together. Yeah, so this this your car is now puking out puking out oil. I mean, what what are you thinking as you're being like towed back to service? Is that are you thinking that's the end or are you formulating a plan to get the car back on the road so i would say even before we were being towed i kind of thought we were done uh, you know we drove all the way out there and it didn't bring a spare oil pan it was just gushing out everywhere uh, and i thought we were done but then we got the tow back and you know i had a long tow ride back to, to determine what we we're gonna do so uh, kelsey started sending out some messages get the word out we were looking for an oil pan uh, I was just going through scenarios in my head on how we can fix this thing, but we didn't really have a good look at it. We didn't know how bad the damage was. It was one of those, once we get back to service, we'll just take a look and figure out what we're going to do from there. So really, first step was get back to the control, check in, and basically triage. Yeah, triage. <laughs> so you get it back to service, you get a better look underneath the car, and what's the determination then? It's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> BMWs use a cast aluminum oil pan, which doesn't like to bend. Uh, it just cracks. Uh, so I could see into the sump. Uh, the crack was at least Ooh. a millimeter and a half uh, wide at a few certain spots. So I wasn't sure what the best approach was. Uh, we were looking around on social media and Craigslist and Facebook just to see if we could find a spare oil pan in the area. I had a few people, I think, offer oil pans they had that were six hours away 
and briefly considered sending somebody to go get one of those, but uh, ultimately we couldn't find one. Uh, the real kicker is uh, because of our engine setup, we've got an M50TU and an E30. Uh, on those engines, the sump's normally in the back, uh, but for an E30, you need the sump in the front. Uh, the E34 5 Series, which is 91 to 95, had that sump in the front uh, because of the way the subframe was set up. Uh, so we had to look for a very specific oil pan. It wasn't just, you know, any E36 or M50 gotcha. oil pan. It was a very specific one uh, from, you know, those years. Uh, so we didn't have any luck finding it. But I did see an E34 5 Series driving around uh, as we were transiting, and they were spectating. We never found them. But they had our oil pan, and he did yell several times, that's our guy, that's the oil pan. And I was like, we can't just steal someone's oil pan, babe. I would have borrowed it. Well, it's, it wouldn't have been unheard of, certainly. We've heard of stranger things going on in the world of rally, haven't we, Mike? Oh, you name it. Oh, yeah. An I've oil seen... pan is nothing. Nope. Yep. I, yeah, I... so we sent... A crew to the nearest Walmart, which was like a half hour away. He got some JB Weld, and um, they were up till 2 a.m. Um, getting the subframe removed, the oil pan off, you know, cleaning it up, getting the JB Weld on. And you're supposed to let JB Weld cure for like 24 hours. We gave it a good two, maybe. <laughs> um, and that's coincidentally about how many hours of sleep Calvin got um, before we got up the next morning to try to finish the car and um we decided to just eat the penalty um and pay the fine for being a late to park expose yeah it definitely took us a little bit longer in the morning uh, we let it cure for those few hours before we put the oil pan back in uh, getting the subframe to line up and get everything back together definitely put us late getting a, getting to park expose uh, so we did get a, a fine for that not fortunately a time penalty but just the fine uh, you know, we had that going for us. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. You think that uh, JB Weld should probably be sponsoring Rally because you're not the first people we've talked to that have affected repairs to their cars with JB Weld before. Well, who was it, Mike? Was it was it uh, Hammersport? They uh, yes, they use that on a uh, on a bushing for uh, a rear yes. control arm. I think it was for the suspension. Um, then uh, countless things over the years. I mean, yes, they should be sponsoring Rally for sure. We'll keep a stock of it for future events, that's for sure. A tech tip as well, because uh, talking to a few people before even got everything cleaned up and ready to go, uh, but it was suggested to pull the pan and JB Will both inside and outside of the oil pan. And I think that helped get us as far as we got with it. So if you do have to JB Will your oil pan, uh, do a good job cleaning it and hit both sides of the cracks if you have cracks. Pro tip right here on the Open Paddock Rallycast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Saturday, it's a long day, right? Because we only have four stages on the first day. It doesn't even really kind of start until noon. Um, quite a bit of a long transit to get out there. Uh, kind of the same thing on on Saturday morning. But once you're kind of out there, it's, it's not quite as far to get back to service. Uh, tell us what your guys' Saturday was like. And one thing I want to touch on is, uh, you know, I was out on Sturdivant, and there were massive crowds of people that lined that stage. I was shocked at how many people drove way out there from I don't know where they came from. 
um, because there's not a lot of population in that part of Maine. And they were just everywhere. But, uh, yeah, give us an idea what your uh, Saturday, uh, you know, morning and, and into the uh, afternoon finish was like for you guys. So the morning uh, was definitely proceed with caution. We weren't sure how well that JV Weld fix was going to hold up. Um, you know, it, I thought it was leaking the uh, as we were in Park Exposé before we took off. I think that was just some overspill on some oil because uh, – when we got out there, I was just kind of checking the oil every chance we could get just to see if we were losing oil, what the level was at, you know, what the status was. But it seemed to be holding up uh, the fix. So I don't think we were really losing any oil. Uh, you know, after two or three stages, I kind of confirmed it. So we started off a little bit timidly, I think, but we definitely stepped up the pace uh, once I realized the fix was holding up. And I kind of just ran through the stages. And as far as Sturdivant goes... Holy crap, that was cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's that section you go through of just lefts and rights, uh, just all chained together, and there's rocks and boulders, uh, basically at the apex of each turn, and there's just the crowds on top of these rocks, and just they're all up there watching, and it was awesome. It's probably one of the coolest sections of stage that I've driven just so far. Yeah, as a co-driver, it was a little bit distracting because I wanted to look up and like wave to the people, but I had to keep reading the notes. Um, but it's really cool because you're just like the kind of moments you live for in rally, at least for me as a co-driver, is when I'm on top of the notes, he's really on it as a driver. I, you know, we're in a rear wheel drive car, so I feel the car just swinging back and forth just like beautifully. And you look up and there's people like cheering you on. It's just, it's overwhelming and amazing. Um, and the, yeah, the fans at NEFR like really brought it. There was like photos of people in kayaks and hammocks, just like people perched everywhere in the woods. It was awesome. The hammock thing, I was actually surprised by that. I mean, there were, there were tons of hammocks. People got out there real early and uh, they were just hammocked between trees. For <laughs> we were about, about a mile in uh, from the finish. Uh, is where we were uh, setting up when I was doing some of the video stuff with ARA. And yeah, it was, it was amazing to see how many people were just all like camped out there for the entire day. They were, they, they were going to bring it. They, they wanted to stay for both runs of Sturdivant and cheer on every car that went through. And it was, it was pretty cool. There are not a lot of rallies that allow spectators to be wherever they kind of want to be on the stage, right? To hike in. Um, there's a lot of more designated spectator areas. I know out west, that's kind of what we do. They're good spectator areas, don't get me wrong. But this gives you kind of that European feel, right? Where people just kind of are coming out of the woodwork, literally. And they're just lining the whole stage road. And it, it's it was a pretty cool experience just to see that being spectating myself. Let alone, I can only imagine what it was like for a driver and a co-driver seeing that as you go flying by. Yeah, we have some in-car video of us going down that stage. We need to get that posted up so you can see kind of what it was like. Because um, it was definitely really, really cool. And it was really unexpected, too. Uh, just suddenly there's just people everywhere. And we're just, you know, full attack on the stage. And people are cheering and waving and shouting. It was awesome. And it definitely encourages him to get even more sideways. Usually I don't tell him there's a spectator point because he doesn't need the encouragement. Uh, <laughs> To, to try to throw the car sideways. So for there to be people everywhere, like I said, he was just tail happy, having a blast over there. Um, I'm not even sure if he was listening to me. He was just swinging back and forth, uh, having a great time. 
That's exactly what I was about to ask next is, do you push a little bit more when you know the spectators are around? But uh, that's been oh, answered. Yeah. For sure. So uh, you guys ended up uh, making it to the finish, and you guys are a little bit concerned there, obviously, with the, with the oil leak. But I did see you at the final stage end finish, and you popped the hood open right away just to take a closer look, but she was still running. Yeah, so on Sturt Event Short, just before we started, um, the team behind us, um, Matt Peterson, um, the Noble Star in the little Honda there, he came up and was like, hey, you guys are a little smelly, maybe a little, little smoky, I smell some oil. So um, Sturt Event Short, we um, drove the car, you know, had fun down Sturt Event Short, again, past the spectators. When we got back to that last service, though, um, we noticed the car had a pretty steady drip um, coming out of the oil pan. And when we peeked in there, there was um, the JB welded, unfortunately, cracked. And we were like, well, we have one stage. So Calvin's approach was like, well, you know, just send it. The faster we drive, the sooner we can finish the stage. And if it's a steady drip, then in theory, we'll lose well less oil. I-, I like this way of thinking. I like that uh-huh. theory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we pretty much, at the service, asked around for any spare oil that people had. I think we took about six or seven quarts of oil with us uh, just to make sure we could stay topped off. And that was probably one of the longest transits to a stage I've driven, not just because it was long, but because I didn't know how quickly we were losing oil at that point. Uh, There was definitely kind of a hairline fracture in the JB weld, and the drip was steady. we didn't really have a way to calculate it until we had driven till the beginning of the stage and kind of got to the beginning uh, we were definitely a little bit low again, topped off. And then we ran the last stage and got to the end. That's when I had to jump out, check, make sure we didn't make the leak worse. Uh, Cause certainly there were lots of rocks on that stage, uh, but things were okay. Uh, we weren't too low on oil and we just drove back from there. Yeah. If, uh, anyone ever tells you to live in the moment, drive a car downstage with a consistent oil drip. That's living in the moment right there. <laughs> I can imagine, uh, yeah, nerves were uh, going <laughs> going nuts, just like, gosh, come on, come on, only only so many more miles on the, on the transit back to the final MTC. Come on, come on, you can do it. Yeah, so like, our, like pulling up to finish, we didn't even bother checking how much oil we had left when we finished. We didn't care we finished. Um... And everyone was like, yeah, the JB Weld people made it back, which was um, pretty cool. Um, you know, if anything, you know, because there were a few other BMWs, you know, um, if anything, we were at least recognized or known um, that weekend from the spectators as the JB Weld team, which was pretty awesome. So you guys made it, make it to the final MTC. I'm guessing just a, just a huge relief. Just as soon as you checked in your time, you're just like, made it. And then not only did you make it, but uh, you guys were, you know, just off the podium there. I mean, fourth and entering in, in national there. So that's that's pretty darn good considering the competition and everybody just having to deal with all those conditions. Yeah, my um, so with not having great reception a lot of the times, honestly, the most feedback that I got was from my dad um, keeping up on the ARA app at home and then like texting me with how we were doing because I could get text messages occasionally. So that night when the oil pan busted, he was like, you guys are in like top 20. And so I think that 
you know, really pushed me to want to continue day two even more. So when we finished day two, I was just like, you know what? I don't even care how we did. I'm just really proud that we finished. And then um, when I looked at the results and everything, um, I was really excited um, that we finished. But also, so we did have a really funny um, scoring inquiry, a really unique scoring inquiry. There was a lot of inquiries this rally, but um, we had um, one stage in particular we were six seconds faster than David Higgins. Ooh. And that would have been, I think, what was it, Morton Cutoff? Uh, um, but anyway, it was one of the three-mile stages, and I wasn't even thinking. The marshal handed our card back and was like, wow, really good job. I calculated our time and then was worried about our next time in. And then we get to the end and, and realize that, like, we had done a three-mile stage in, like, two minutes. And we were like, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> so I had to put in a scoring inquiry because um, they gave us the wrong minute, um, which did cost us a place. But um, somebody saved the screenshot for us um, of us being faster than Higgins and Solberg and everything. So we do have that. <laughs> I would hold on to that. that, that that's, you know, yeah. that's going to make you feel good for a bit. Okay, yeah, it was a slight timing error. But, you know, uh, for a moment there, for just a moment. You were faster than Super Rally Team USA. So there you go. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I got a few text messages from like friends and family being like, oh my gosh, you were fastest on a stage. And I was like, oh, I have to tell them. Oh no. <laughs> and then the letdown. But yeah. uh, they were still really proud. So awesome. Well, I mean, again, <laughs> you finished. Uh, a lot of people didn't. There was, there was a good amount of attrition from this rally, uh, but there was a lot of entries. You know, it was, a, it was a pretty, was it 74 entries or, or 70, 74 or 73 started, I think. So that, that was a pretty heavy entry list. And um, yeah, some serious attrition um, in the regionals we saw. Was it Mike Miniman uh, had that CRX ended up having a big off. Uh, Louis Texera, uh, boy, he, scary moment for him. Everybody's okay there, but uh, where their knuckle broke on a sixth six right i think it was and just suddenly car veers off into the trees that's a scary thought um so yeah definitely some some interesting things happened over the weekend but uh, you guys made it through and uh yeah great job great job great way to keep it together press on regardless mm -hmm. stay up all night i mean mm -hmm. that was that was a full rally experience there yeah we got everything in one weekend really <laughs> <laughs> i think yes uh... sorry no sorry carry on I was going to say, there was even a, another odd thing that happened uh, overnight, Friday night. Uh, so we were out there till 2 a.m., and everybody was about wrapping up out there. There's another team out there that had just finished fixing their car. They were putting all their stuff away, and we were getting ready to just go to bed, waiting for the JB Weld. And a car, runaway car, just appeared coming towards our car that was... Uh, being worked on uh, I, I guess somebody left it parked and whatever e-brake holding tool they used didn't quite work because uh, there was a car coming down the hill towards us and uh, the other team and uh, my crew and myself we stopped that car before it hit ours uh, so that was kind of a crazy incident that happened overnight uh, amongst all the other craziness going on uh, one of the more crazy ones I recall was the the VIP bus that decided to slide off the uh, Concord Pond stage and had a, a number of people stuck inside it for a while. So, uh, 
yeah, a little bit of everything happened at this rally. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's as a co-driver like calling left four bus bus bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's an interesting note to have to add in, but uh, yes, it was there. It had to be there the whole rally because I guess the closest uh, basically crane <laughs> type you know vehicle that could tow that thing out of there was uh, two hours away. So. Yeah, they decided to just put a bunch of banner tape around it because it was on the outside of the turn, way away from where you guys should be taking your racing line. And they're like, all right, get the people off, banner tape it, let you guys know at the start of the stage where it's at, and have at it. <laughs> well, that's not an experience I've had before, but anyway, that's one to put in the put in the notebooks for the... Have you got, have you got video of that as well? Yes, we certainly do. Um yeah, we'll have we'll have it up on our YouTube page here pretty soon. Well, that is a perfect lead-in to how does everybody follow uh, Cooper Auto Works and your racing efforts? Um, so we've got uh, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube just all under the Cooper Auto Works name. Um, so that's probably the best way to follow us there. And what events are you guys planning on doing next once you get the car uh, buttoned up with a proper uh, new uh, oil pan there? Well, we're headed to Ojibwe, then STPR, then Show Me and LSPR. And that should, I think, finish out our schedule for the year. That's that's one heck of a heck of a schedule. I mean, you're putting a you're putting a lot of a lot of miles on. I mean, it's quite quite the undertaking for uh a small outfit like yourselves uh, how did you decide well, how did you decide that you were going to do all these these events in one year it's because it's only your second year second year competing isn't it yeah it's our second year uh, we kind of took the same approach we're taking uh well we're taking it now that we did with uh, tsd rallies that if we do enough events and crew enough points we might actually make a podium at the end of the year uh, so uh, more of a battle of attrition and just, you know, showing up, completing events and uh, just learning and getting better and getting faster and see how we do. Uh, we kind of looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year uh, when the championship scoring points or scoring structure came out and looked at, uh, you know, what would we need to do to really do well and give us enough events to place on the uh, national or uh, East Coast. Uh, so we looked at all the events. Uh, scheduled stuff out uh, originally we didn't actually plan to do any fr though uh, because we had enough events we thought uh, to get enough points before that but because we dnf'd 100 acre wood uh, we added any fr so uh, we kind of had a full schedule to begin with but adding any fr definitely made it even more full and we'll never be any younger or dumber than we mm -hmm. are now so you may as well go for it I like that. <laughs> I don't know if we get that much wiser as we get older, though, because, uh, yeah, I'm quite a bit older and still go out and chase race cars in the woods. So, um, yeah, it's totally worth it, though. That's, that's a slogan for one of your Cooper, Work, Cooper Auto Works T-shirts. I like that. that <laughs> yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Well, uh, you've got some videos coming up that we're going to be able to see online. We'll make sure that we share some of those. Um Wow, like I said, good effort. Love seeing the BMWs out there. That's that's one thing actually I must say is that the Midwest to East Coast, there's a lot more BMWs than we see out west, and they're just fun as hell to see and to hear. The, oh, such beautiful noise you guys make out there, and it's so much fun to watch. And silly sideways, it's 
it, it just doesn't get much better than that. So mm-hmm. uh, congratulations on making it to the end. And uh, yeah, any final words? Yeah. So of course, we'll have to, we'll quickly thank our sponsors. Of course, Cooper Auto Works, which is Calvin's business. Um, he um, runs a BMW specialty repair shop. Um, my um, dad runs Stevens Ranch, um, and he was our first sponsor, and he's also our biggest fan. Like I said, he's always watching from the ARA app. Um, R1 Images, who is um, helping us with a lot of our video content um, and uh, amazing photography. And then um, Izette Hubbard-Ashery, who uh, gifted a couple of free hats before the last rally. And then, of course, um, we've had a slew of different crew, but um, folks who are always ready and willing to jump in and make Rally possible because it's definitely a team effort. And my good friend, uh, Nick Rezebeck and his brother, Jamie Rezebeck, uh, they were really helpful for us uh, at 100 Acre Wood and also at Southern Ohio. Uh, Ryan Ledesma, he's uh, R1 Images. Uh, He's crewed for us and took lots of photos and helped with video content. Uh, Kelsey's brother, Kenzie Minley, he was at uh, NEFR. He rode with us all the way out there and uh, helped out a ton, along with Eric Schley. Uh, he's a driver, co-driver also, but he was crewing for us and did an awesome job helping us get that oil pan sorted out. And Paul Stevens, Kelsey's father, uh, as we mentioned, Stevens Ranch is his business. And Ethan Welch, his little ranch hand who um, helps out with various things here and there. Yeah, and one final thanks to Jesse Uvalli. Uh, he was the previous owner of the rally car we've been driving, and he's working on getting another car built, and we hope to see him out on stage soon. And he's been an amazing mentor for both of us. He taught us so much while we were crewing, and he's just an amazing asset to rally. You know, he did rallies in, in Europe and – so he's just so full of knowledge and really willing to share it, which means a lot. Yeah, so that's, you know, anybody that's done rallying over there, that's a whole other level. And uh, to be able to bring that experience, uh, you know, stateside to, uh, to to help others is definitely of a huge value. So that's really, really cool. Thank you so much for being on the, on this episode of the Rallycast. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at uh, Ojibwe. I will be there. And uh, Ian, I believe you're going to be there too, right? I'm the the rally truck is going to be there. Yes, I shall uh, look forward to seeing you there. In fact, I want to take a quick, a close look at your uh, Bimmer because uh, I have a co-drive in a BMW lined up on the West Coast next year. So I shall take a quicker look around your car and uh, see what they look like. Absolutely. Well, uh, good luck at Ojibwe, and we'll uh, make sure that uh, we get a few words from you guys there and uh, have a good rally, and we will chat with you later. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. For the rest of the podcast, it's going to be just me finishing up the review from New England Forest Rally. Ian, unfortunately, had to go at the same time as our guests. So, uh, yeah. So back to New England Forest Rally. Some awesome things there. We mentioned several things when we were talking with with Calvin Cooper and Kelsey Stevens of Cooper Auto Works. Some things that stood out to me was, of course, seeing the return of Chris DuPlessis. Chris is just a great guy, and he's so wicked quick, and he proved it yet again. And especially in that car, the initial D uh, AE86 that he was out there in, uh, that was built by John Reed of John Reed Racing. Uh, If you don't know who John Reed is, uh, go look up John Reed Racing. He does some amazing stuff with uh, Motec electronic stuff. I've seen the genius at work doing 
some uh, programming of the beast that was the BRZ done by Nameless Performance. And he was on a dyno with that car and he'd program in some things. I swear, every 10 minutes he got 10 more horsepower out of the car and a nice smooth curve. And, you know, I don't know all the technical details behind this, but John Reed is a freaking wizard and he knows how to build a car. And now that Chris Duplessis has that car that was originally built by John Reed, um, I was hearing that it probably has the best power to weight ratio of any of the cars that were competing at New England. It has a 3SGE Beams motor. I'm not so big on uh, remembering the details of uh, Toyota engines, but uh, they call that their breakthrough engine with advanced mechanism systems. And yeah, apparently it can pull something like 250 horsepower. So yeah, amazing car. Uh, Duplessis would have won his class if he had entered the right class, but unfortunately, uh, he was entered as a limited two-wheel drive, which that car was not. That's not the factory motor that was in it. Um, it was quite a bit upgraded, and then, of course, that meant he should have been registered open two-wheel drive, so that gave him a penalty to drop a couple of spots. But again, it was just awesome to see Chris out there. Uh, one amazing moment was getting through Concord Pond. They didn't have the intercom working. It turns out that the him and his co-driver just couldn't hear each other because uh, one thing he didn't check on the new car to him was the intercom. And when they went and started that uh, first two stages of Concord Pond, they didn't have the ability to talk to each other. But Chris knows that stage so well, he didn't really need notes, you know. He, he's just amazing. It was so quick on that stage. I think he was sixth or seventh overall in that two-wheel drive car on Concord Pond alone. So that's just crazy crazy quick so it was awesome to see that other bits that were of interest uh, it was interesting to see uh, barry mckenna ended up having a different co-driver a co-driver that he had from uh when he does his irish forest rally uh championship over in ireland it was andy hayes that was sitting next to him instead of leon jordan leon ended up actually sitting next to uh someone that works for uh, barry mckenna uh, gary smith who was competing in his first ever rally in the r2 fiesta they also field and so he ended up having uh Leon Jordan sitting next to him, and so McKenna had Andy Hayes in the car, and, you know, seemed to work really well, and they got a great finish there in second overall, so very pleased to see that. That was uh, well done by him. You know, it's it's definitely an attrition rally where you have to manage things, as we know. Um, third place overall, Ramana Lagaman with uh, Chrissy Beavis. That was so cool to see. That was such a cool car, too. You know, uh, the we all love that era. Uh, it was a 2003 um, Subaru that was just, a, I, mean, I guess you could almost call it a historic these days, uh, at least one that was of that caliber. It was a, it, it was a proper build, and uh, I guess he brought it over from overseas, but it was pretty similar to what he would have driven back when he was part of the Subaru factory team. So uh, very, very cool to see that car here and, or over there in New England. I'm here in Oregon, so. Not really here, here, but you get the idea. Uh, anyways, Ramana, great, great drive into third overall. Uh, one thing that did bother me, I was on the Sturdivant stage doing some of the filming stuff with the ARA crew, and I saw Solberg go by, and he had a puncture on Sturdivant, and right behind him was Ramana Lagaman. Now, you can't tell me somebody the experience of Solberg and especially his co-driver, Denny Juraday, knowing the times between each car that LaRamana wasn't catching up to him. 
I hope that Ramana wasn't stuck behind him for too long because we were near the end of the stage with maybe uh, a quarter or half mile left to go. So it just really bothers me if somebody's holding up another driver. You don't ever want to see that. And you'd think that if he knew it was coming close that they would have pulled over and let Ramana go by. But here he was just stuck right behind him while they're driving through on a puncture. And uh, that was a bit frustrating to see. Uh, another bit with Solberg that was interesting was he lost seven minutes when they had the puncture on the earlier stage, uh, stage three, um, which was South Arm. And it turns out from what I was hearing is that they had an issue. They're trying to change the flat on stage and he had an issue with getting the jack to work. I don't know what the details of whether it was just the car was in a bad spot and the jack wouldn't you know wouldn't set correctly to where they get under the car or what it was but then they had to get back in the car and then drive out on it so the combination of the two is what made such a huge time loss so uh that, that was kind of interesting to see that but um it did make me wonder a little bit about the tires for subaru um you know we've seen a few punctures now with those um yokohamas or or not just the punctures but uh olympus we saw the rubber kind of coming off a little bit but then again David didn't have an issue and he, you know, ended up going all the way through to a win. So, uh, maybe it's just managing, you know, the hardware that you've got and, you know, Oliver pushes really hard. You can noticeably see that typically. So, uh, yeah, um, it was definitely interesting to see that, uh, David had no issues, but Oliver did. So maybe that's just experience and knowing these stages and how you, how you have to maintain it. But, uh, yeah, it was just bothered a little bit though about the, uh, holding up of Ramana. Uh, I didn't like seeing that, but again, it was right at the end of the stage, so maybe it was no big deal. And Ramana still ended up in third overall, so I guess in the end, uh, not a big deal. We talked earlier about some of the big offs that were on uh, Icicle Brook. Yeah, that stage, it's so fast now from what it used to be. Um, it was definitely interesting to see such a different uh, characteristic there. Um, some of my, our, our other friends, ODD Racing, Cam Steely, Preston Osborne, their car just sounded sick from the very get-go on Concord Pond. Uh, then they, you know, fixed some things. They were going to go out the next day on Saturday. They're on transit. And then I passed by them on the side of the road. Apparently a timing belt broke. <laughs> just really bad luck for these guys. Feel horrible for them. But uh, funny note, while they were sitting there on the side of the road, just as I was going by to go to Sturdivant, I look over and... Uh, they, they were just playing a game with themselves because they didn't have, they were sitting there waiting for the trailer, right? And I see Preston Osborne is flipping a water bottle up to land on the roof of the car, uh, trying to just flip it up and see if it would land just right. Some sort of water bottle challenge thing, I guess. And just as I'm going by, it lands perfectly and they raise up their hands. Yeah! So there you go. A small win for you guys. You came all the way out there and all you got to show for it is I witnessed your water bottle challenge. So uh, good job on that. <laughs> Other interesting things out there. Uh, Mark Pietkowski of Map Rally Team, along with his co-driver, Adi Mantopoulos. Um, it was really cool to see that Adi was the first time for him being next to Mark. Um, so he said the, the last time uh, Mantopoulos was on the side of the car, it was actually his dad that co-drove for Mark. And now it's Adi that's sitting next to him. So I thought that was really cool to see this kind of transition, you know, because Mark Pietkowski, he was kind of this young guy that we 
I remember, you know, following him and, you know, he, he was the aspiring young driver and, you know, he had, he had a lot of promise and we kind of didn't see him for a couple of years, you know, obviously life can get in the way. It's an expensive sport, all those things, but boy, he came out with a vengeance and ended up winning overall in regional. So that was really cool to see such a good job by those two. And, uh, we'll see them at STPR as well. So that was really cool. Fabio, uh, Fabio's always a fun guy to be out there, and uh, he ended up having a bit of an off, but thankfully didn't damage the car at all, ended up being able to get back on the road after a yank from the uh, sweep crew, uh, but he was technically a DNF because he was beyond the MPL, I think, So, uh, but he got back running again, and he ended up finishing the rally, and you know, every time he went by a spectator area, he gave him an extra little bit of a show. So, but that, that was pretty cool to see him out there and uh, having a good time. Um, always love uh, seeing Fabio out there. And last, certainly but not least, is the press on regardless uh, story for this rally. Every rally has one. And the highlight from doing the Forest Rally to me was car number 409, uh, Dylan Gondike and Ben Chong. Uh, first of all, the driver, uh, Dylan. I saw him, he was kind of off to the side being uh, attended to by somebody with a, with a stethoscope. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, apparently he overheated. Uh, but not only did he overheat, but the car blew a motor. They, they had a replacement motor available. Um, and what was really cool about this story is while he's trying to recover, you know, getting cooled off and whatnot from a little bit of heat exhaustion, four, five other teams, several teams came over and they were helping replace that motor, take the old one out, put a new one in, all just with manpower. There was four people becoming human engine hoist, you know, helping remove and, and put in the new one. And it was just incredible to see all just so they could get back out. This is on Saturday. And they this is after the first loop of stages. So then there's a second loop of stages. And then there's one more short stage at the very end right there's two services and then they go to that uh last little stage called north road they got that motor in there got it running dylan got cooled off ready to go and they ended up being able to check back in and they're technically a dnf but who the hell cares this is one of the most awesome stories the rally community coming together for a press on regardless and they are winners in my book it was so awesome to see that just Great, great showing by those guys just to make it to the end. Yeah, sure, it was only maybe a five-mile stage that they got to finally run at the end there, but good on everybody for getting that all put together. It was just so cool to see. And uh, I'd also like to say a shout-out to everybody that just stopped and talked to me when I, uh, you know, kind of get my little recorder out there and trying to get some notes and figuring out what's going on. You know, I really appreciate all the competitors and uh, them reaching out and making sure that I know the stories. Um, make sure that you follow our stuff on Facebook and whatnot. I try and post those uh, after I transcribe them. Um, I'm thinking about maybe doing some uh, little videos maybe coming up or uh, so maybe make a video type or maybe I'll take the audio segments that I record and make those like as a separate little podcast thing, uh, just kind of some direct from the drivers you can hear exactly what they had to say so uh i don't know we'll, we'll see what happens with that but uh you know with unlimited amount of time and energy you can do anything right <laughs> all right so our next show we'll be talking about some of the craziness from rally colorado uh we're gonna get preston osborne on and uh ed mcnelly 
from the ODD Racing because we want to hear about the story of Earl the Rally Car. There was some very exciting things that happened in Colorado and uh, an amazing, amazing story about this rally car that's done a whole bunch of rallies in its lifetime. And its final goodbye was <laughs> just wait till you hear the story if you haven't heard it already. It's pretty incredible. And of course, don't forget to follow the action from this weekend's uh, Rally Finland. Unfortunately, uh, it's missing Hayden Patton, as most of us know. He had that big off and a practice on Monday car wasn't repairable so we're upset to see that happen hopefully he gets another opportunity um we'll see but uh yeah the action's going on right now so by the time you listen to this it'll probably be more than half over but from what i've been seeing the times are just stacking right on top of each other very close uh for many of the teams so it's kind of anybody's ball game uh really excited to see how that ends up and i guess that's it for this one um remember uh, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You know, we got all of our stuff out there. Uh, please give us a, a like and a follow. Make sure you tell a friend. You know, the more followers we get, the better. If you have any ideas of things that you'd like to have on the show, please send us a message. Let me know. And, of course, uh, we also have our individual Facebook uh, pages. That one for me, Mike Shaw Rally, if you want, you want to follow that one as well, and Ian Holmes Rally Co-Driver. Uh, we have a little bit different insights that we'll be posting there. Uh, stuff that we don't necessarily do on the open paddock side. Uh, just a little bit more of opinions and things like that that might not make it uh, to open paddock. And uh, again, thank you to our guests, Calvin Cooper and Kelsey Stevens Cooper Auto Works. You know, it was great to have them. Yet another uh, new competitor, newer competitor anyways, to add to the list. Great to see such a fun car too. And uh, we look forward to seeing them at Ojibwe. So for Ian Holmes, I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.